Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I'm really excited to welcome Cal Strength and Conditioning Coach Joel Smith. Joel's going to sit down and talk to us today about beating the clock, working with athletes where you know you can really tell with what's working, what's not, because it's all time-related sports, individual sport athletes. We're talking track and field and swimming. Um, and Joel does an awesome job with the kids out at Cal. I mean, obviously his track record speaks for itself if you uh, just look at the success they've had. But the conversation starts out uh, talking building the general to specific, you know, and, and some specific exercises that he has seen some direct carryover uh, when dealing with his track athletes. He's also been doing a bunch lately with uh, muscle activation techniques, and, and he talks for a bit about how that fits in his programming and, and how it's assisted in his athletes' development, and what muscle activation techniques he has been using and had the best success with, and how he's implemented them in his program. And I think that that's some pretty awesome stuff, um, some, you know, some of that Monday morning information, you know, that you would take from a clinic, uh, as we would say. Stuff you could put in your programs right now. So, so that's big time that he was he was willing to share that. You know, we see we talk a bit about his article that he recently had uh, on free lap, and that was about jumping. And he talks about where he sees jumping and training, uh, both for the swimming and diving athletes he works with, uh, and the track and field kids. You know, and, and where the, his programming for the jump started, and then where he sees the relationship to jumping and swimming. You know, with his guys that he has there at, at Cal. Um, and, and he's in another situation too with the swimming and, uh, athletes where he's got the post-grad people, the Olympians working with him as well as the men's team and now the women's team as well. It's really a neat talk, guys. Joel's got a, a really unique perspective of, of looking at things, being a track coach first and then getting into strength and conditioning. Um, I took a ton away from it. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, let's get right to the talk. Joel, man, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, Going to talk on a topic that we've hit with a bunch of people, talking, starting out here, moving general to specific in the training. And since you're in a position where we can actually tell if things are working with your past with track and now, you know, your lifelong work with swimmers, uh, I mean, clocks don't lie. So talking with this with a guy who his whole career has been around cutting times uh, I'm excited to hear what you got to say with this, bud. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure to uh, be on this interview, Jay. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's get rolling, and I'm excited to kind of share my experiences with, I guess, the world of individual sports. You know, I feel like I'm I'm lacking in the team sport world a little bit, but it's it's fun to be around the you know the world of the clock and where every exercise you do, you can see is it worthwhile, is it not, and uh, how it all works together. Awesome. Well, then let's start first with how you put everything together with these kids. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll go through. Um, I, I can be long-winded. I'll try to kind of compartmentalize. Uh, you know, I, I'll start with track because uh, I actually I've, I've just been transitioning more to more of the aquatics world of my life. Uh, I'm 32 now, and I've been involved in track since I was 14. And so um, I'll start with that and kind of what's I've, my you know brief thoughts in a nutshell on like general stuff in the weight room, specific stuff in the weight room. Um, you know, my experience as a coach. Uh, so I coached track for um, eight, like, yeah, I think eight years, no, six. So I lose track sometimes, but full-time, uh, as a full-time uh, track coach, uh, six years. And, you know, I was in charge of everything. You know, I, I liked, I remember somebody was saying at the, uh, your seminar last year, when you're coaching track, you are the high performance manager. And so 
you know, the funny thing is, is when I'm actually coaching track and then for the programs I write for online clients where I do write everything and the plyometrics and speed and stuff, I actually don't, I don't pay as much of attention to the weightlifting as I do in my full-time job <laughs> just because I have control of the track and, you know, the weights are a little bit towards the bottom of the pyramid. So I don't, you know, I, I feel like obviously when I, when it's uh, part of my position at Cal, I, I dig into a lot more because, you know, you really want to pour yourself into what you do. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's about that stuff that's uh, directly transferring and how do I make that look good? So um, the things, uh, strength for speed has been a very special interest of mine. It kind of, uh, you know, I was a generalist for most of my years as a track coach uh, all the way until my last. Um, and not that I'm not now, um, but the first exercise, I guess you could say that I all of a sudden was like, oh, like this is kind of specific and yet this is kind of working uh, was the barbell hip thrust for sprinters. Uh, and in a kind of a short time frame, I had, you know, I, I incorporated it my, my last year and I was noticing significant drops in time, specifically, specifically top end speed uh, at the ends of races, so like the last 50 of your 200 or the last 100 or your 400. Um, but I guess more than that, and maybe, you know, a lot of times a drop in time could be a lot of things. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't probably as aware of all the variables back then as I am now, but from a uh, qualitative standpoint is what meant the most to me as athletes would say, you know, that last, that last bit of the race, my, my pelvis is in a better position. Like I'm consciously feeling my glutes kicking harder at the end of the race. And so, you know, at that point, like, okay, maybe you know, there is something there with, uh, some of these, I guess more special and specific type exercises. And, uh, you know, I transferred quickly over then into a full-time strength coach role at Cal and I brought that with me. And then, you know, you start looking at every exercise from the perspective of maybe, maybe a general exercise, but you look at, okay, well, what's your posture when you're sprinting, you know, what's your pelvis doing? And so, um, you can certainly take general exercises and make them specific just by giving some athletes some cues and awareness, like uh, the top of a deadlift, you know, where, like what are the hips doing at the top of the deadlift? How is, you know, I mean, because of the top position, your pelvis is neutral, you know, and you could even rotate it slightly posteriorly. And that takes a lot of the same muscle action that you're going to see uh, in a sprint, a corresponding sprint. Um, so, uh, it, it ultimately, I would say a lot of it falls back on the philosophy of the coach, you know, like, um, cause I can do all the special stuff I want in the weight room too, but if it's not corresponding with a well-planned track program, you know, then it ultimately doesn't necessarily mean anything. And so, um, I, it, it really is a spectrum. I, I, I think there's a lot you can do and a creative coach wants to do a lot. Uh, but then again, I mean, there's been world champions and probably a, a lot of world records where an athlete didn't do a single specific thing. So it's always, uh, it's definitely a blend. Um, but ultimately I think there's two or three like kind of key elements there that I do think make a big difference in terms of the speed end, uh, for track and field. So being like a hip thrust, um, and, uh, anything that an athlete can draw conscious awareness to their posture in the weight room and link it in mentally as well to what they do. Uh, I always think that that does have something special to it. No, that's really awesome. And I think that jumping back a few weeks, when Keenan was talking about all the stuff that he does with Michael, he said that that's one of the things that Michael really separates himself with, um, is that his ability to look at exercises and say, oh, that's going to work. 
or yeah, that's not going to work. You know, and, and that connection is one of the things. I mean, now, there's a lot of things that make Michael Phelps really, really yeah. fast. But that's one of the things that make him special and, and help um, all the stuff that Keenan does show up at such a high level in the water. Yeah, absolutely. And and the higher level, the athlete, the you know, especially as you know, we grow in experience as the coaches and start getting around some of these athletes, you see just the difference with an athlete who is such a high level athlete and they're gonna be very meticulous about everything, you know, and, and they know, like instinctually a lot of times they know if something has that feel. And I imagine too, like Michael Phelps or you know, some of the swimmers that I work with, swimming is such a feel based sport. You know, it's it's a, it's an unnatural world and and i'm still you know learning a lot on a daily basis on how it's different than track you know and and even even the way you would approach special stuff in the weight room i think is a lot different than the way you would approach something special you know <laughs> with track in the weight room just because it's a it, it's more like um you know you got that pyramid right you know you got your competition exercise and then your specific developmental specific prep general prep and track some of the weight room stuff can be higher up in that pyramid, you know, but swimming, it's kind of all on the bottom and, and it's all not, I mean, not completely, but generally speaking, and it's a lot of it's what the athletes make and connect of it, you know, and if they aren't connecting to what you're prescribing, uh, then the transfer might be very dubious. You know, you, they have to have obviously buy-in, uh, but then on top of buy-in, it's how you uh, create an environment where they can feel those exercises and say, okay, you know, when I'm, uh, when I'm in the water, this is what my posture should be like. And yet when I bend this way or move this way in the weight room, this is what happens to me. And um, being around the, the swim coaches too, uh, they'll be in the weight room and they'll be like, hey, you know, that what these athletes are doing during this exercise, that's what they do in the water. But like that might not be a good thing. You know, this is a bad thing. They're doing the water and they're doing it in the same thing here. So there, you know, it's it's just so much about the quality. I mean, I, I feel like I could do any exercises some days, but as long as I'm coaching them the right way, you know, it's, it's a very feel based thing. No, without a doubt. And I think that one of the things that you do that's different than a lot of people, um, that's really successful is this muscle activation stuff. And I think that that's something that with the swimmers, especially, um, helps show up in the pool a little bit. So maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, my, my uh, I guess my, maybe I should leave with just my, um, I've only been doing it for a short time. <laughs> my my, uh, my worldview, I guess, in the terms of athletic performance was uh, shaken up quite a bit last February. I went to, uh, uh, based on the advice of uh, Cal Dietz, I went to see uh, Douglas Heal uh, present, a South African, you know, physio activation specialist. I saw him present at one of Chris Corfus. Uh, seminars in Chicago and you know it was a really interesting thing you know I, I came in really skeptical and I think I even ended the first day of the two-day seminar pretty skeptical but uh, after seeing the difference in myself and as well as the after effects once I came back I, I was pretty much sold on it and uh, I guess in a nutshell and I, I don't just do that either his his therapy is based on I guess um, it's a little uh, uh, I might be, I guess, a little out there for some people. It's a little dips its toes in the applied kinesiology world and, and all that stuff. But the bottom line is if it works, it works. I mean, I for me, I'm like, I don't care how I get an athlete to run faster or swim faster. I mean, I could, you know, if it's whirling a baton around three times and, and you know, 
bopped them on the nose and they go swim a second faster, then I, I don't care. I don't care if I look like a fool. I just want them to be better. I mean, obviously there are like um, psychological and physiological groundings to the whole system. Um, but I've also gone through some of the MAT muscle activation techniques, their isometric series. So that's something that's a little more, I think, scientific and practical, you know, based on muscle feedback loops. And so, I mean, the ultimate, um, the ultimate gist of it is that, uh, you know, there's phasic and tonic muscles. There's muscles that, you know, get tight and there's muscles that get weak. And when there's muscles that go weak, the, uh, you know, and we move, let's say we sprint, uh, the easiest example would be in sprint gait, you know, if your glutes have gone weak a little bit and not that they won't fire, actually people saying your glutes aren't firing. I really, it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't like that term at all. I, I, I think it's more of a patterning. Does your glute fire before your hamstring fires? You know, does it fire before your spinal erectors? Uh, I think it's more of a muscle timing issue uh, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Basically, you know, you don't want compensators to be doing the job of the phasic muscle. And so these activation series are, are basically kind of a an highway of sorts to restore the contractility to the muscle. And so what I'm doing, I, I use it especially in swim. I, my, uh, my chapter in track and field is, I guess I'm between chapters in track and field right now. I'm, I'm more of a just doing club coaching work and online stuff right now in that regard. But with swimming, We'll use that very specifically in conjunction with exercises. So, you know, if I'm um, like for the swimmers, the lats are a huge muscle group. I mean, they're, you want them to drive from the lat. You know, the good swimmers are, you know, insanely, you know, obviously there's that somatotype, that body type. You know, it's not Ronnie Coleman arms in the water. Obviously, right. it's, it's, uh, it's those lats and those deep core muscles that are driving the movement. And so we'll spend a lot of time, um, we do a lot of isometrics too, so we'll do a lot of like pull-up isometrics, driving through the lats early on. But we couple that with a lot of these activation techniques, be it uh, some of the you know Douglas heel points uh, and uh, muscle tests, and we also do some of the uh, muscle activation techniques, isometrics as well between. And I've had pretty good success with that. So you know, if we're doing a pull-up workout, we always hit lat spots. Uh, we'll do. Um, activate or isometrics that sometimes I do that with kind of my postgraduate group they have a little bit more time <laughs> so we'll we kind of get the full you know the full montage of things and uh, we'll also do that for um, with the postgrads especially we'll do that for like if they squat we'll make sure we activate glutes and psoas and uh, we'll sometimes we'll do like a little VMO type stuff stuff that I think a lot of strength coaches do we all have our own activation I guess techniques and and bag of tricks you know you could use like a complex you can do various like you know, various um, band exercises and whatnot. But I found really good success with the Douglas Heel system. And I think it makes a difference. You know, people after being activated, they'll usually say, I feel longer in the water. Um, back when I was working with track, you know, I'd activate athletes who would set a PR the next day. I mean, it's it's the real deal. I, and um, it's a really been a useful system. And it just changes the way that I think as a coach. So could you give an example, let's say, since we were just talking about swimmers? You said activate the lats and you go into the pull-up work that you do. So how do you do that and then how do you move forward through the rest of that workout? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's so how I kind of generally do it, it let's, like with um, my undergrad group where time is more of a factor, uh, like if they have a series of five pull-ups, a lot of times what I'll do is the first right after the first pull-up, they'll do like their, their lat activation series. So, you know, we all have... Um, we use a lot of uh, Dr. Tom Nelson. He's uh, he's uh, runs a site called Activate and Dominate. Dominate, and they have these uh, self-activation sticks. They'll 
do their first set of pull-ups, they'll go through the activation protocol and then they will get to their second set, you know, hopefully, I mean, it's both, I think it works on both the physical and mental level, you know, just feeling like, hey, you know, lats, like here we go. And uh, each set thereafter, I'll usually give them then a band exercise based on what we're looking with the, you know, scapulohumeral rhythms and whatnot. So we usually go activation and then after each set thereafter, we'll do like a, you know, just like a band pullback or some sort of pull down with the scap, something like that, uh, saber raises. Uh, so, but that's kind of secondary. I like them to do the activation protocol first and then they'll go with the band stuff and we'll superset the sets as we go, go along. Uh, we usually only do one activation thing a day just because it's a little time consuming. And it's like if I have to prioritize, I, you know, I, I don't want to just be labeled as, I guess, a voodoo, this voodoo practitioner. And we just we do it for one thing. I just, if I can get them to focus for one thing and they're bought into it, which is huge, I do believe it makes a big difference. Oh, no doubt. But the thing that sells it better than anything is if they swim faster or run faster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's and that's what matters. And. You know, I, when I first started doing it too, I, I mean, there's sometimes you'll, you'll do activation, that type of thing on an athlete and they don't go faster too. And so a lot of it is, it's a lot of it is the presentation uh, value as well. And just allowing them time to kind of, you know, over time kind of adapt the system and start to realize, you know, what, not just the movement that we're doing, but what are the primary muscles behind that movement. And I think it all works together. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's an interesting system. I mean, there's certainly, I mean, it's almost something that's really hard to describe until you've been through it. At least the the Douglas Heel activation system, the isometrics. I think we've all been through some form of those, you know. And um, so, yeah, again, it, I think it all works together. No, I, and I think that's awesome. And then I guess the next question following in that is, do you work that in now when you're starting to do your specific stuff? So you're talking about the hip thrust, looking at. Um, you know, you're finishing with the race with how your pelvic alignment stays and firing with your glutes. Do you, do you put this in with that to help, uh, I don't know, not to sound like Emeril Lagasse, but like kick it up a notch? Um, <laughs> or is it, uh, is it something that you would keep completely separate in a general uh, phase? Uh, no, I told that's a great question. I, I just ran a, um, I ran like an interview with a few different uh, speed uh, and track coaches on my website back a few months ago. And even those coaches have different views on that. You know, like some will say, um, you know, let the therapy do the job of activating like the glutes, you know, and then just train how you normally would in the weight room. Whereas some people work it into everything. Um, if I was working, you know, just to track, like if I went back and I was just a track coach right now, how I would approach it like for track would be I would do the glute activation, psoas activation, and then I would do that surrounding like a 45 degree reverse hyper with a barbell or a hip thrust. Like I would want that to sit, I would want that to sit hand in hand because it's, it's um, the awareness of what's going on, I think is just as important, you know? And uh, I th do think you can kind of feel a better glute lock and glute contraction in that case. With swimming, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've had, I have like, 15 years of track under my belt. I got a good three years of swimming under my belt. And I just, I don't think I'm quite there aside from, you know, I basically, I've had the blessing of being able to watch, you know, very elite swimmers, you know, move. And I'm like, okay, like if everyone else can just move a little more like these guys, you know, in these certain areas, I think we're in a good spot. But, you know, the only thing that I really push is like the lat stuff. Just because everything else that we do in the weight room is so, 
uh, it's all just, it's about the bigger picture movement. Um, I would say, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just going through like Franz Bosch's uh, running book right now on uh, sprint, you know, the sprinting action and how the biarticular muscles work in sprinting, like the hamstrings and the rectus femoris and the abs and all this stuff. And there's a very particular job that each of these muscles have to do in sprinting. I'm like, well, I barely get this with sprinting right now. I'm just figuring this out. It's going to be 10 years till I figure out exactly yeah. how this goes in swimming. And no one's even written anything about that in swimming. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of stuff, but I don't think that it's really caught up with the track and the, cause you know, again, it's, you have a very instinctual thing we do from two versus a very unnatural movement at swimming. So, um, you know, I, I would say the pull-ups is just the biggest one. Otherwise I would just work in generalities. I usually try to make sure the swimmers like glutes and psoas are working well. Cause I feel like that when coaches talk about the core, it was another term I don't like, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, I like to think of it as that pairing first, because if that pairing is off, then everything's going to be off. And so we'll usually just make sure that's good a lot of days and work from there and then pull ups, we go lats. And besides that, I try not to be, you know, I, I put my voodoo stick away aside from, um, those things a lot of times and, and then we'll just rock it from there. No, I think that that's an awesome point. And yeah, dealing with swimmers is such a, I mean, we could just talk about how crazy the subculture is to begin with and how that Im impacts the rest of it. But being horizontal in an aqueous solution uh, definitely makes all of the secondary things a little bit more interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. You know, and how you handle your posture when gravity is manipulated because you're floating, sort of. Um, is, is weird too. It's uh, it, it is some crazy stuff. But I, I think that that, I think you might be onto something pretty neat with with it with them, um, especially if it helps those kids catch higher, you know, because they are able to use all that and and catch instead of, especially since most women catch so short. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty. Uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. It's something that it uh, it could really help out a lot of these kids. Um, Technically, in the water, which oh, is uh, which is a huge assistance. Um, you just wrote an awesome article that was on Freelap, and it's totally in a different segment with the jumps. Where do you see that in these two sports? Uh, just with the jumping, uh, jumping mechanisms and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, well, track and field, I could talk for days on that. I mean, that's kind of been my... I, I think the first athletic skill I ever tried to do was jumping higher because I was tall and I was good at it. And, you know, I mean, I was so, um, yeah, I mean, I can uh, maybe I'll talk with swimming first because I think I could be a little more concise on that because I can get carried away. Uh, so swimming. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like I, I can actually tell you I there's a distinction with how I train um, you know, the men and women a little bit. Uh, I just started working with the women's squad here at Cal. And, you know, historically, um there's almost always box jumps and stuff in a swimmer's repertoire. And I think it's a great thing. You know, they want to be explosive and obviously short course, you know, the walls and blocks are pretty key, you know, paramount. Um, so usually what I'll do, uh, the women's team, actually, they do, uh, they do like a cardio dance, um, a couple of days a week. And I actually kind of feel like they get a lot of their explosive leg movements through that. So I don't even box jump in the weight room. I mean, we could, and they do a little, but to me, it's like if they're already doing that, just to do a couple more. I mean, we'll see it throughout the year. Uh, the guys uh, will do it. 
Uh, I do that, a lot of resisted jumps with them, you know, uh, stuff where they're, it's more concentric, you know, based, like stuff where they don't have to have as big of an eccentric contraction. Uh, I will depth jump them, though, off a of low box, actually, just because the guys here are pretty good athletes. Like, I actually, you know, you hear the whole fish out of water thing, and, you know, some of them are. Yeah, I mean, like, distance swimmers can be that way a little bit, yeah. but, <laughs> but I got a kid, I got a kid who's got a... I'm trying to think of what he's hit. I mean, it's, it's something like a 56-inch standing box jump, and I got a few guys on the team with, like, 33, 35-inch verticals on the just jump mat. I mean, these are some pretty explosive dudes, and so I do think the depth jump does replicate a little bit of, you know, when you push off the wall, it's not just concentric only. There is the pretension in the muscle. Like, you know, pretension, if you were to put an EMG on someone's leg, I mean, this is a little bit of speculation based off of how muscle action works on track and field and running. But if you were to, I would imagine if you put an EMG on someone's leg muscles, right, but like the millisecond before their feet contact the wall, that there would be good muscle pretension, you know, to load the tendons. And so I do think there's a lot of similarities in a short, a small depth jump, you know, we'll, we'll go like 12, maybe 18 inches sometimes for like the short, the 50 guys, you know, hundred guys. Uh, but I think that, you know, has historically been something they responded pretty well to, but then I also have guys who, you know, it's like, you know, you have, it's like these chemicals, you know, if they have a certain workout in the pool and then you dump the chemical of eccentric overloading in, they will get wrecked like none other. I mean, it's like, I have a K-Box too. And I've quickly found out that that can be a swimmer's kind of best friend um, in, in, when they're not doing a lot of swimming or their worst nightmare if, they, um, if they're doing, you know, a lot. Like they're already doing a lot in the pool and now you're throwing eccentric overload in on top of it. It's just, there's, there's way more interesting react. Uh, swimming is a way more interesting chemistry set than track because the, the reactions that these athletes are going to have are way different than, you know, athletes who are just doing ground-based stuff all the time. And so uh, I, I do, I, um, I really do like using vertical jump for the guys. And, and as I move along more with the women, I, you know, that'll probably be something I keep looking at. But I do think that those guys should be jumping a little bit higher every year. I mean, short course, you, you want to be explosive. It's, it's a really big part of what they do. And you should get up on the blocks and think I can out jump the guy next to me. You know, like I'm a more explosive athlete than this guy. And, you know, maybe it's not always the most specific thing, but I, I, it's part of the big equation. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, uh, with swim, that's about it. I mean, track, is there something like more specific, um, in terms of like the track, the ground based, uh, you know, side of things uh, I can, you would want to hear from for a few minutes or. Well, the article was awesome. Um, and I think that the the breakdown into the it was how many pieces was it? There was the vertical part with the and the depth jumps, and then you had the bounding series that yeah. you were talking about. Maybe if we just kind of put that all together, kind of how you you rapped about it at the end as like uh, this is how we can do it. Because I think, I mean. A lot of people still don't understand um, a lot of those things and the importance of extensive jumping, you know, the importance of elasticity. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the big things that, um, especially in the demos that came off really, really well in that video, when you looked at how your bounding was so smooth and effortless as opposed to like when you were there, when Natalia showed those videos and 
Who was it? Someone doing those hurdle jumps, and it looked like like Operation Dumbo Drop each time. It was like <laughs> boom, 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 instead of just being like doom, doom, doom. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, if if we could get in around that and work our way back to your progressions, I think that'd be huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll you know I'll say it. The book the book that changed my life it, you know it's funny you would never think that um, something you found in the back of slam basketball magazine would be a vi- viable you know valid scientific piece that changed your life with jump training but uh, it did like this uh, book the science of jumping it's over a decade old it is I mean I, I can't speak highly enough about it the more you know it's kind of one of those things where the the more coaching years you get under your belt the more you look back at the book and like holy cow this is genius um just because it's so simple uh the book basically it's like and when i did the program i was like 16 or 17 i'd done air alert and i'd done all this stuff you know and and like kind of plyometrics but this was the first book where it's basically like you do one workout and you rest and tell you can do that workout again and then you, you hit it hard again you know even if it's two weeks and the workout was just you know really intense depth jumps single leg depth jumps like 360 depth jumps lateral depth jumps bounding um, and my vertical took off like unbelievable. I tried everything and all of a sudden it was like the magic pill. And so I've been using that type of ideal for, for years, you know, obviously. And I, it's kind of like the anchoring bias a little bit, you know, you weigh everything, you know, that first thing that really works, you all of a sudden, you know, anchor everything against it. But in kind of my 15 years since then, you know, everything kind of weighing in and out and seeing how it works with athletes, it does really just come back to overloading the specific portions of the jump, you know, and a lot of that's the eccentric portion of the jump. And so, you know, kind of with that article, uh, yeah, if you want to jump higher, you have to know how to depth jump and do it well. A lot of, and, and like you said, that, yeah, like the video Natalia showed, like a lot of, there's way more bad plyometric videos on the internet than good ones, oh, no, uh, no sadly. Kid, no kid. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would take, you know, I, I, I've, I've even gone to the point where during depth jumps, I'll put, um, I'll take my phone and I, I'll, down a little decibel meter app on my phone and I'll put the phone on the ground right next to where they're landing and I'll just say okay who can you can make this read the lowest you know like that's all we're working on today is I just want to see who can land the most softly and the funny thing is the guys who are the best jumpers and girls who are the best jumpers are also usually the ones who have the lowest decibel reading and that's almost as big of a thing as how high they would do with like a reactive jump, like that they could just transfer the energy better, specifically like the high jumpers I've worked with, like the good ones. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, doing a depth jump and doing it really well and doing it maximally, you know, and I've almost always have an outcome goal. Like you have to, like if you're doing a depth jump outside of the teaching stages, you know, if you're not jumping over a hurdle or doing it up to like, you know, a target, or something where there's a maximal effort, it is one of those, to me, it's kind of one of those things, well, why are you doing it? You know, are you, it, is it just there? Is it, you know, are you doing it because it's there? Are you doing it because you want to do something higher than you did last time, you know? And so that's that's a huge import, important part for me. Um, and then, uh, let's see, getting, yeah, so you got the depth jumps, the single leg stuff is good. Um, lately I've really been into all the auxiliary things. So, you know, the single leg depth jumps, the lateral depth jumps, the 360 depth jumps. Uh, and this is actually a cool thing where maybe I can tie swimming in is working with some of the swim coaches here at Cal. They will actually use some of the other strokes like backstroke to potentiate a freestyle in practice. Like they'll have athletes do a certain number of other strokes to potentiate one good run 
in the main event, the main stroke. And I kind of feel like it's the same way sometimes with depth jumps. That's something I've been playing with lately is if you want to jump high, uh, try potentiating it with some, you know, alternate skills like 360 depth jumps, uh, lateral depth jumps, single leg depth jumps, and use those to potentiate the main thing rather than just pounding away at the, you know, the regular depth jump the whole time. You always want to make it easy. Like it's like, um, I'm trying to think of like, like Spezza Tura or my, my coaching friend Mike Goss uses a lot in his uh, coaching club. You want to make it look easy and you want to use the, ver the variety of potentiators to make the main thing look a little bit easier because when you give your nervous system more breadth and a little bit of a variety and option, maybe even a similar concept to HRV, you know, the variation between each heartbeat being greater, there's the greater capacity to adapt. I think it's similar with the human body. If you give it a little more variety, there's a greater ability to adapt to the main thing. Uh, so that's, you know, with all that single leg and all the variety, I, I like that. And uh, the last thing I'll mention, that bounding comp um, the bounding complex, I'm really happy you, actually, it was a great compliment that you said I look smooth because I kind of gave up. I hung it up in high jump three years ago. <laughs> I just rocked. I rock climb now, and I, I my vertical was so bad a year ago, but I, I made a little comeback. But the funny thing is I, I went out to the grass field just a week ago, and I made my wife record me doing all those bounds, and I did like, you know, I took like a minute between each one. I was kind of huffing and puffing a little bit, and, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, when you do plyometrics, it's like, you know, full recovery, full rest, you know, every jump is the highest. And with depth jumps, yeah, sure. But I think with a lot of that stuff, like the bounding and some of the more elastic, repeated stuff, you can do it on less than optimal rest. I, I'm actually a very strong believer in that. I think that that's an area where a lot of coaches, because it doesn't make intuitive sense. Um, but I, it's very, uh, like, after that workout, like two days later, I was just screwing on the weight room, and my jump was amazing. And it's, to me, it's, that, it's the coordination. It's the, it's the breadth of the nervous system that you do get on some of those, those diverse, um, a little, you know, not super specific, you know, same but different efforts. And it adds up to a lot of, um, it allows your nervous system to hone in on a specific skill better when you do close skills on short rest. And that's something I've found out lately. So that's why I love the bounding complex. That was something I got from Yuri Verkashansky in one of his old jump programs. And I've been doing that complex ever since. And I love it. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the right, right, left, left. So you would call that like the, uh, the threefold bounds. Um, that's hard too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like for the people that it, we're going to link the article below. If you haven't read it, um, read it as soon as you're done listening to this. Cause it's, it's legit. It's really good stuff. Um, like that's, that's like hard. Like I don't, I, I've got a lot of guys who can't do that. Like they'll, they, they try to do that and it's, um, it's awful. Um, <laughs> no, I, I've seen that, been there and seen that. Yeah. It, it can be a rough. Yeah, but the you know I I think that a lot of those extensive running exercises that the Verkashanskis have spoken about are really some of the most underrated training means you know that that are out there. Any of those which you would classify as as short coupling exercises done extensively, um, I really think those are those are really big time money makers when you're looking at handling stress and, and not overloading kids too much. And uh, that's, you know, obviously getting to the depth jumps is important for as your athletes progress. And, you know, everybody wants the cherry on top, as, as she yeah. said. Um, but it's 
those those early exercises and those great demos of it, I think um, I think are really important because people don't understand enough how those are supposed to really look um, and how important they are. Everybody wants to get really caught up and, and thrown into all the cool, neat next thing, and it's uh, there's a lot that can be done with the simple early low-level stuff that builds such a huge base and, and improvement with, with people. And, and I think that article was, was so on point with a lot of it. So read that right now, y'all, when we're done. Like, flip your iPhone over, hit Safari, and, and run to that article and, and pull it up because it's, it's real. It's really, really good. Um, so then how would any of those translate into the water? Oh, well, that's good. So that's a good question. Um, so basically, I guess I'll, I'll give you kind of what I've been doing the last two months. And most of this has been with my postgraduate at swimmers. Haven't been doing it quite as much with the, the undergraduate groups. And largely just because it's, if I'm having like, <laughs> well, I'll just tell you what I'm doing a little bit for the postgrads is, you know, I'll have them if they're doing like a squat day, you know, I'll, and this is something that historically this this swim group has done a really good job on, especially the men has just been multilateral development, you know, especially like those early points in the year, you want to kind of cover a lot of things, you know, just be an athlete and then let, you know, obviously the specificity of the pool will handle itself later on. And, and so uh, I've been um, doing a little bit of um, like low, low box, uh, lateral depth jumps, uh, 360 depth jumps. Not for anything specific, but just just to garner skills, you know, just just to build skills. Um, you know, the the swimmers they definitely like to you know see how high they can box jump, see how high they can go and touch on the vertex. And you know, this that was just kind of my way of trying to blend it all together and build a few new skills in with it. Um, you know, is it going to make a big difference? You know, and someone is someone going to go out and rip like you know a half second PR because of it? No. Um, but I think for me, it's just something that. I think it's just something to keep them focused to learn how their body moves in a different way. You know, the, the height of whatever they're doing is low enough to keep them safe. Um, so that's, I think the biggest thing is, yeah, just like, because the ultimate specificity, I mean, and, and that's really just for the blocks and the wall, the ultimate specificity neurally for everything else would be, you know, their actual kicking pattern and, and that type of thing. So because of that, I keep the volume pretty low. I never really want my skills I do in the weight room to interfere with whatever they're doing in the pool. You know, I, I'm a strong believer in doing no harm. Um, I, I have uh, one swimmer in particular who, if he does any sort of heavy uh, workout in the pool uh, and I depth jump him or put him on the K-box or anything eccentric, he will implode. And so it's, uh, you know, it's just interesting. Like I said, there's these almost these chemical reactions that I have to be careful with. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've just been using a little depth jump, jump variety and... Um, you know, trying to infuse that into, you know, helping the athletes feel a little bit better about their explosive power levels. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's a game changer. It's just something I've been doing because I think it's, it's a nice break from the norm. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I think that even the, the most awesome point about that is you need to understand that uh, at the end of the day, what we do either needs to help them or it needs to be eliminated. Yeah, absolutely. And when you've got studs that it doesn't matter what you think, it don't work for studs are studs and you got to make sure they're ready to rock and roll when they need to rock and roll. And that's uh that's a super point. And I think that 
This has been an absolutely killer talk, dude. There's so many great pieces in here. I hope people can take as much away from this as I just did because looking at all of this over the grand spectrum, there's so much that you can do to more to help your kids if you just take a few of the points you made. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us today, Joel. This was great. Oh, thanks, dude. It was my pleasure being on. I really appreciate it. And now if people have any questions, how can they get at your social media-wise? Um, so just uh, check out my website, Just Fly Sports. Uh, so it's uh, Just Fly Sports with little uh, uh, hashes between the words. And uh, my, all my social media icons are top right in the page. Uh, Facebook is probably the one I respond uh, most often to. So if you have a question, there's a contact us thing there. Uh, so that'll be the easiest way, and I'll usually respond pretty quick to you. And that's just-fly-sports.com. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was great, brother. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Jay. All right, man. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Sounds good, man. Again, a huge thanks to Kel's strength and conditioning coach, Joel Smith, for being on with us, guys. Joel is an absolutely fantastic dude. Uh, check the article. We're going to post it right below here. Um, it's really got some awesome stuff, some great insight. Uh, and, you know, the videos, the demos in them are, are done really, really well. Uh, so kudos to you, Joel, for, for making it look so easy because we know that it isn't, my friend. Uh, he did fantastic with it. It's something that you could use to help your athletes right away. And don't forget to check out Just Fly Sports uh, on any of the social media outlets, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and check the website. He's got some great stuff on there, guys. He really does put out some good information. And as always, thanks for tuning in. If there's any comments, thoughts, questions, Leave them below, guys. Joel is uh, he's, he's not a guy to hide. If you got questions, he'll, he'll answer them. So leave them below. And if you enjoyed the talk, as always, share it in the social media outlet of your choice. And we'll be back here next week, guys, with another great guest. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you then. 